You guys can be seated. Uh, Ben, thanks so much for that. Thanks for the reminder that Christ has made a space for us and, uh, and that we get to be a part of, of making space for others in really powerful ways. Uh, last week, if you were here with us, uh, we kicked off the year talking about vision. We're going to continue to do that this week because we think that matters. Last week, we tried to understand why the vision God has given us, why that matters. Why does it matter if we form biblically functioning communities that reach lost people, that connect in Christ-centered relationships, that teach truth? that serve others, that worship God. Why does that matter? This week, we're going to talk about where that vision is taking us. Let me lay it out uh, pretty clearly. We believe our ability to live out that vision that I just shared with you over the next five years will be directly affected by our willingness to display the kingdom of God in its fullness as best as we possibly can in the here and now. To live that picture of what we see in Revelation where every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered around in a circle around a throne. And in that throne sits Jesus, the King. And we're all doing what we're made to do. We're we're there worshiping together. Our ability to live that out proactively, we believe over the next five years, will mean us increasingly being multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-site. So we're going to actively pursue movement toward being multi-generational in our leadership and in our voice, multi-ethnic in our leadership and in our community as an expression of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, and increasingly multi-site in our reach, which means some of us in this room will be a part of forming a new expression of Summit in the years to come. These things, these three things are going to take all of us. It's going to take our our leadership and our willingness to serve together uh, to actually live this out. And we're going to hear more about this, and we're going to spend more time with this throughout the year. In fact, a lot of this year will be spent on those three things specifically. But today, we're going to focus on the serving others portion of our vision, that aspect of our vision. We're going to zoom in to that, and we're going to look at it from a kingdom perspective. And we're going to try to to unpack how we're going to pursue that in unique ways in the years ahead, starting today. I'm excited uh, about this. This is something I care deeply about. Uh, I'm excited also because uh, one of my friends is here to help us through this. In a couple of minutes, uh, Dan Shearfield, who uh, is, uh, he works over at Herndon, and he's the Summit Connect director over there, but he also oversees our local partnerships, our, our local service strategy, and he and I work together because I have the, the humbling privilege of overseeing our global service strategy, and so we work together a lot, and I'm excited that he's here because I appreciate his passion and his wisdom and his excitement about this, and I think it'll be really helpful to us as we take practical steps toward uh, uh, reframing and refocusing our, our serving others aspect of our vision. But I'm going to lay a little groundwork before we hear from Dan, before I call him up. And to me, it seems like a really appropriate time of year to to talk about new focus and and new commitments. I'm not sure about you, but for the Abbott family, after Christmas is a really special time uh, for for me because the kids are playing with their new toys and their new gadgets and things like that. And I love that. I love that they're excited about that. Hopefully, you're experiencing some of that as well. But but the other thing that I really love is we, we ask our kids, sometimes we ask them, sometimes we just mandate to them, you have to make space for the new stuff. So you have to find some old stuff to get rid of, to make space for the new stuff, or sometimes we just do it when they're at school because we're mean parents. But, uh, but, we, but I love that. I love, I love finding little broken, little 
toys and, and just throwing them away. It's, the most, it's like one of the most joyful things that I experience in my life is just throwing away something that's useless. Um, but once in a while in this process, something surprising happens. You're, you're rooting through kind of the old broken toys and it's like, oh, we need to make space for this. And maybe under a bed or back in a corner somewhere, you find something that's actually really important. I remember when I was a kid, I went through this process after Christmas and I got a ton of G.I. Joes and Matchbox cars. I was really into those things and I got in a ton of them and I had to make space for it. And I was always organizing my room. That might not surprise you if, you're, if you know me at all. I'm a little bit particular. Uh, so I was trying to make space for everything. You know, it's like you can't mess with the, the baseball card area. You got to find a different area. So uh, back in this area, I was digging through some stuff and I found my Snoopy stuffed animal. My Snoopy stuffed animal went everywhere with me for a long period of time. Its nose was like blown out because I would swing it around, and so I had this really fuzzy nose. Uh, but it had, had fallen in the corner, and I'd just kind of forgotten about it or whatever. And I remember when I found it, when I saw it, it's not that it was a new thing. It had always been there, but I had forgotten about it. And when I held it up, it was more important than any new thing that I possibly could have gotten that year. So for us, this season, as an Abbott family, but for us as a church, is about intentionally looking around us to see maybe if we've been missing something. Or maybe we need to think differently about things that are, that are already around us, already close to us. We're going to see if there's something that, that could go unnoticed that needs attention because of how valuable it is. In Matthew 19, Jesus says these words, Let the children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Those are powerful words. But I think to understand those words and what they mean for us and why they should matter to us, we actually have to go back a couple of chapters. We have to go back to Matthew 17. So let's go back there together. This is where something called the transfiguration happens. It's a churchy word. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus takes three of his friends, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain. In the middle of ministry, everything's moving really, really fast, and he just secludes. He says, hey, let's, let's get some time away. And so he goes up to this mountain, with his three friends. And the scriptures say Jesus' appearance was changed completely. The scriptures say his face shone like the sun and his clothes were as white as light. And so Peter, in verse 4 of chapter 17, he says this. He says, it's good. This is good. It's good to be here. Let's just stay here. And he actually says, I'll build a shelter so that we can just stay here forever so that we never have to leave. We have all we need right here. We have Jesus and his glory. That's what we've been after. It's safe here up on the mountainside. It's good here. Let's just stay here. And I think we all have moments like this where everything's just right for us, where everything's moving in the right direction and we don't want to be interrupted and we don't want to change ever. There are these like perfect pocket seasons where it's like this must be it. This must be everything God has promised. I think we all have moments like Peter where we say, let's just stay here. This must be home. This must be where we're supposed to be. This is all that God has promised because it's so good and it's so safe. Maybe the job is good and the kids are good and the marriage is good. Or if you're a student, the classes are good. You, you really appreciate your professors and they're leading you in this, in this wonderful direction. Things are good with your family and your friends. And honestly, in those moments, we don't really want any more instruction. We just want to stay on the path. Let's just, let's just stay going that direction. And we want to listen to Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't say something has to change. And then we get verse 5 of chapter 17. The voice of God breaks through 
the sky and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And I imagine that instruction, listen to him, hung in the air for what seemed like eternity until Jesus said something because I'm supposed to, God said, I'm supposed to listen to whatever Jesus says. Jesus says one word in the middle of this mountaintop experience where everything is good, everything is perfect. Jesus is in his full glory. One word, egerote, get up. That's Jesus' response. That's Jesus' command. That's Jesus' instruction. Get up. And I imagine it was crushing for Peter and James and John because it meant change. But what Jesus was saying is though this moment seems like the fullness of the kingdom, there is kingdom work to do down there. You might feel like everything is right for you, but things aren't all right for others. And that should matter. Kingdom has to come to life down here, not just on the mountaintop. So Jesus invites his followers to get up from the place where it's all right for them to take part in his kingdom work, which is good for all. And down here, the disciples have their eyes open to what's going on around them. They see something that could easily go unnoticed. So they come down from the safety of the mountain. They cross the Jordan into Judea. And then this, Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. It's in your bulletin or you have your Bibles. It's quick. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, no, 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 let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. It was common in Jesus' day for children to be brought to rabbis for, for blessings. So the people bringing the children were acting perfectly in line with the culture. Uh, the parents or the guardians of the children who were bringing the children, uh, they were acting perfectly in line with what was normal in the culture, but the disciples rebuked them. Why? Because this is no normal rabbi. This is the Messiah. This is the savior of the world. Clearly, Jesus doesn't have any time for children. In the Hellenistic world in which Jesus lived, children really didn't have much status. In the Jewish culture, Jesus' Jewish culture, children were valued and cared for in ways well above any, anything outside of the Jewish culture. But even there, they were non-entities until age 13, until they could be bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, sons or daughters of the commandment. But it was far worse in the wider culture. Maybe the most appalling and, and, and best way to illustrate how difficult it was for children or how children were looked at in the Roman culture, there was a... Uh, a process called exposure. So citizens in Rome were required to care for all healthy male uh, children and at least one female. That was written law, even though uh, enforcement of that law was, was pretty lax. So what that means is an infant could be abandoned without penalty or social stigma, honestly, for just about anything. Maybe they didn't look right. Maybe they cried too much. Maybe, maybe there's family poverty or parental conflict and we just can't raise them all. Sometimes children were given to friends. That was rare. Usually they were just left out. They became expositi. They were exposed to the elements. Some of them died of hypothermia, but more often than not, what happened is they were rescued by slavers. They became slaves. That's how the world worked. If you were a child with disability, things were far worse 
for you. There, there uh, wasn't a Latin word in, in Jesus' Roman culture for uh, disability. That, that word didn't exist. So if, if a child had a disability, what they would refer to them as is a monstrum, the, the same word that they would use for a mythical monster. That's how a child with disabilities would be viewed. This is the reality for children. They were vulnerable. But Jesus says that's not okay. He says you don't have to perform to be loved. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be good enough or strong enough or smart enough. You are loved and you do matter, child or adult. You do matter to God. This is true in the kingdom, the reality that Jesus came to bring. For God so loved the world, in the Greek, tan cosmos, everything and everyone that he gave his son, that whoever believes will have life here and for eternity. Because the truth is, there is no height restriction or age limit on mattering to God. But the disciples attempt to shoo the children away because Jesus has big things to do. Clearly, children don't have anything to do with kingdom. And getting to the next mountaintop experience as soon as possible is far more important than waiting around for kids, right? But in Mark's version of this account, it says Jesus is indignant at them trying to shoo the children away. He's moved with displeasure, even grief. Jesus is brokenhearted at their response. Last week, John said, we're gonna talk a lot about kingdom citizenship this year, what it means to participate with Jesus and what he's bringing. And Jesus here in Matthew 19 is telling us who gets to be a part of that kingdom because it might be easy to mistake who God can use and who he includes. Let the children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If children are included in the kingdom Jesus came to bring because they matter, they shouldn't be dismissed or put in the corner or forgotten in our own communities. And though the times may be different and how we think about children may be different because the culture we're speaking to and living in is different, it remains Children are valuable. Jesus makes it clear, but it remains that they are vulnerable. Children are valuable, but they're vulnerable. With that, I want to bring Dan up. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about what we do in response to this truth. Over the last few months, we've been talking about ways. Uh, hey, Dan. Hey, bud. Nice short sleeve shirt. Um, the Waterford issued uniform is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. nice. I like it's the color nice. Mask. Yeah, yeah, we got a good. we got a good colorway over yeah, here. Yeah. Um, We've been talking for the last uh, few months as a leadership and a strategy level about how we can have the deepest impact in our, in our local service. Uh, the history of Summit, we have been pretty broad in our service. Just go serve. And that, that's been wonderful and, and some incredible relationships and impacts have happened. But we've started to ask questions about how we can be uh, more focused in that local service. And we looked at different people, different groups, different circumstances, but when it came down to it, when we saw the huge gap between how valuable children are and how vulnerable they are in our own communities, we said we wanted to do something about that. 
And so in one of those leadership meetings, uh, I actually asked a question. These are the types of questions I ask in leadership meetings, in case you're wondering. I was like, how are we going to define vulnerable children? Because I want us all to be on the same page. I don't want to have different definitions of what a vulnerable child is. And Dan said something that has just rocked me, and, and, it, and it's been rattling around in my brain ever since. And it was so deeply convicting. So when I said, uh, how are we going to define a vulnerable child, what, what did you say, Dan? Every child is vulnerable. Every child is vulnerable. I mean, I, I, didn't, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? We recognize that. We know that a child can't sustain themselves. A, a baby needs care or they, they literally won't make it. And even if you get past the just surviving to be able to thrive and grow, you need care and support. But I, I was so pragmatic in my thinking that I had left that out completely. Do you see this absurd contrast between how valuable children are, yet how vulnerable they are. They have to have care from others. They have to have advocacy. They have to have love and support to grow. And so what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, um, to what Gary was saying, when we were talking about every child being vulnerable, it was this idea that every child is reliant on the systems, the relationships, and the structures that they're giving. And so if one of those system structures relationships is under-resourced, is broken, is experiencing trauma, um, that is what exposes a child's vulnerability. And I think that's the opportunity for us as kind of the church to just get involved and kind of move forward. Yeah, the, it, every child runs the risk of being the meekest voice in the room, the, the quietest voice in the room. They run the risk of being put in the corner. And that's not over and above other vulnerabilities that other people experience, but they seem to be the most vulnerable. I'm going to quote the, the great theologian, uh, Lauren Hill. I was listening to the miseducation of <laughs> Lauren Hill, and we were flipping through the jacket, and she had this incredible quote. I've come to realize that what distinguishes one child from another is not ability, but access. Mm -hmm. Access to education, access to opportunity, access to love. So starting this year, starting today, we're moving from a broad local service strategy to a very focused local service strategy centered on caring for vulnerable children. We want to make the, a deep and noticeable impact on the conditions that children live under to help them know that they matter deeply to God. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by supporting the systems and the structures and the relationships that serve vulnerable children. We're going to be missionally engaged in schools and we're going to support the foster care system. Those are the two primary ways. And there may be other ways, and we'll talk a little, little bit about where we are in the process in a moment, but those are two ways where we know we're going to jump in first, being missionally engaged in schools and supporting the foster care system. You may ask, why? I'm glad you ask. Yes, children are vulnerable, <laughs> but why foster care and why schools? Because every kid deserves a loving home and the support to grow. Every kid deserves that. And so we're going to go after these two areas. Talk a little bit more about how we're going to do that, Dan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we're going to do that, how we got to that. Uh, first of all, this has been like a year-long process of kind of prayer, research, data gathering, um, looking at what is it that our congregation is equipped for, what is it that makes our heart beat fast, what is it that uh, we feel like we can take a more holistic approach uh, towards. And I, and I say it's really important, and I want to start off here by saying, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, like a hungry child, that, that's heartbreaking, but I don't even know that I like kids that much. Right. I don't know if I really want to hang out with kids, and so we're going to spend the next, you know, whatever, five years serving kids. This is going to be really difficult for me. i got to find um, an adult church. 
church. Yeah, I got it. Hey, do you notice that, like, I don't know if it's our eyes because we're getting older, but I feel like you keep edging in front of me and then I get in front of you. No, I don't know. Are you racing me to the podium? No, No, it's just I can't see. I know. That's what it is. It's age. It's me too. Um, Sorry. We're friends too, so this is going to be hard to stay on task. No, no, maybe. No, just (laughs) Just let me know if you don't. So the reality is if you, um, if the the idea of serving children or or feels maybe like not something that you would um, be available to or it's just not a skill set that you're for, I just want you to kind of hold on and listen throughout this whole thing because um, the goal of this when we were looking at all of these things is that we would take more of a two-generational approach, that we would take a more of a holistic approach. So serving Children might be the why, but it doesn't always have to be the mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, the how. So yeah, let's great. let's talk about schools for example. Um, couple statistics out there in our tri county area locally, there's about twelve thousand five hundred students that are considered homeless by uh, by category, and so that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have a roof over their head, um, but they don't have um, stable housing. Maybe they're in weekly. Uh, stays and things like that. There's about a quarter of the children will go are at risk for going to bed um, hungry in the evening. And those are just realities. And we could say like, okay, then we need to like get them homes. And in the summer when they're not getting the three meals a day being provided by the school system, uh, we need to get them food. And all of that is awesome. And if you feel called to do that, you should absolutely and do, that. do that. And we may do that. They, they, those may be solutions. But the reality is when we talk about the system structures and relationships, Uh, that support children, uh, there's more of an opportunity for a holistic approach with the schools. And so although we don't know what school where, and that's a bit of what today is about, and the cards that you were given on the way in is kind of learning where God might call us in this local community to engage with a school, but I want you to remember what a school represents. I mean, it, it, it is the heartbeat of a neighborhood. Every single one of you is attached to a school, whether you have a child or not, because schools are place-based, and so you live somewhere, and in your place where you live, there is a school that serves the children that live there. Um, schools are a place for employment, they're a place for education, they're a place for community to happen, they're part of these neighborhoods and these larger structures, and so I don't want you to forget that when we talk about schools and when we talking about in particularly vulnerable children, whether it's because of um, the injustice of poverty or if it might even be a school that um, is is serving uh, children with special needs, wherever we end up uh, in this whole kind of uh, way about going and serving, we're going to realize that there's going to be multiple ways to serve. And so, for example, in the schools, um, and you might go there and say, all right, we're going to take jobs partnership, which is something we've been doing for years, and we're going to take it inside the school, and we're going to set it up for parents. What jobs partnership does is provide life and work skills so that you can get the career that you were made for. That doesn't mean that a lot of these children, even in that statistic of 12,500 students um, being homeless, that they're not going home to a weekly stay location where there's two working parents and siblings that are contributing. All of that can be true, but what they need is relationships, space, childcare, so they can actually get additional skills so that they can kind of take a step up in their career, right? And so that might be the way you serve. So you're not necessarily engaging with the child directly, but you're engaging with the parents. Um, On top of that, serving also could look like just showing up. Right? I mean, some of these schools, they got soccer teams and football teams and things like that. Um, just show up, cheer, uh, show them that they matter. And you'll see um, these kids, they don't pick which zip code they're part of. And schools are different from zip code to zip code. And if you have kids in schools, you're probably well aware of that. 
And I, I love the reference that you make uh, to Matthew because of this idea that like where things may be good, but we, we need to, to get up and we need to go. And you might be engaged in your school, you might be on the PTA, you might be helping out in your neighborhood already, and I think that's awesome and you should continue to do that. But as this gets defined for Waterford, mm -hmm. I wanna encourage you and engage you to see what, what might be different for where we're going to where I'm at and, and how maybe I can serve differently there. Because for some schools, uh, a PTA, the entire budget for the whole year, the goal is to raise like $8,000. And for another school, they do that in one event in two hours on a Friday night, right? And when you don't think that makes a difference in, in how school and education and relationship and things happen, you might be missing something. So you might be serving in a school, and that's awesome, but you might get called to serve elsewhere in this process. We've begun to have some conversations with some schools, but I want to uh, be really clear. We didn't want to come to today with the full picture of which schools we were going to engage in because we didn't want to sit in a lab somewhere and then not include the congregation. This is for all of us to be a part of. And so again, I'll refer to the card a little bit in a moment, but we want to know where relationships already exist. We want to follow those relationships. God has honored that at Summit when we follow relationships into serving, and so we want to do that. So we really need your help at, at this part. So like I said, we've begun to talk to some schools, but we don't want to be a finished product yet. We want to invite you in in the first part of this year to, to shape and, and, and guide us in that. So, so we'll need your help there. Um, this, is, this is a big deal to us. There is uh, some of the deepest uh, poverty in all of Florida exists within five miles of right here. There are school opportunities for us to care for the most vulnerable in the most vulnerable situation right around us, and, and we're going to uh, seek to, to pursue those together. So that's schools. Let's talk about foster care. Yeah. Um, well, the foster care system, first of all, when we say foster care, don't, like, hunker down and, and say, oh, man, I don't think I can foster right now. The great Especially thing, if you hate kids because you talked about well, that. Well, yeah, that would just be a double like negative. Yeah. yeah, you don't like them. Stay it. out of base camp. Okay? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's not a place for you to serve. Um, the reality with the foster care system is there's so many ways to serve that, that are outside of fostering. And if through this you're feeling the tug to foster, uh, Here's the main thing you need to hear. We as your church are going to stand with you, and we are going to support you, and we're going to make sure that we're with you all the way through. So know that. But there's going to be so many other ways to engage in the children in the foster care system. Well, first, we're going to go through a few uh, kind of the data points and statistics with uh, foster. The first, two out of three children in the foster care are moved um, at an average of seven or more times. And so why is that a big deal? Well, I mean, obviously for stability, and you can imagine like, hey, if you were just uprooted throughout your life uh, seven or more times and into different family units, that that could be, or just homes, group homes, that could be disruptive. Uh, but the stat on that is that each move costs a child an estimated of eight months of progress. You can do the math, like in a lifetime, that's probably like five years of progress, right? And so when you look at the dropout rate and the graduation rate and the foster system and all the rest of it and how terrible it is, um, it, it, it's not because of children who are not capable or learning. It's just a really disruptive process um, to be in the foster care system uh, when it's not stable. And that, and, and that progress is emotional and intellectual absolutely. and relational. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, the next one is 50% of foster families stop fostering after their first placement or um, yeah, after their first year. And so a general placement in the foster system is about a year. Uh, but families go through almost a year of preparation and training and getting ready to become a foster family, and then they're stopping after one. 
And the reality is because it's hard. It's I mean, that's yeah. just the truth. It, this is a very difficult thing uh, to move into, um, but there's opportunity there. I will mention this, and I, uh, Gary's about to go through a couple of opportunities. Uh, there is a video out there, and so two things. One, don't watch it without a box of tissues, and two, just yeah. don't watch it in public. It's probably tough, but it's called Removed. And if you just Google it on YouTube, uh, it's a two-part series, and it just follows a girl uh, who's been taken out of her home and then placed in uh, to foster homes. But it gives you like a, a real picture. Uh, but the real picture is hard, and I, I don't want you to know that. But but it's a good resource if it's something that if you're you want, interested in. If you want to email me, I can I can link you to it or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but but what these problems represent is opportunity. Yeah. And so so, so how are we going to get started? I'm glad you asked. Uh, here's how here's how we're going to get started. We're going to we're going to create what are called care teams. There's nothing nothing magical about that name, but yep. care teams uh, around uh, people in our church and in our neighborhoods that are that are fostering. Uh, let me yeah walk you through. 90% of foster families surrounded by care communities continue fostering. So remember the last stat. 50% don't make it past one placement. If you're in a care team, 90% continue. That is a, a dramatic shift. It's because you're not going through it alone. I mean, it's pretty simple. If you have something that's hard and difficult, but you can lock arms with people through it, there's a better chance you're going to make it through. And so we're going to create these care teams. Uh, yeah, there are approximately 200 children who are not placed with a family. Remember, every, every child deserves a, a loving home. There are 200. I don't know what that number says to you, but to us in our leadership room, as we looked, we were like, we can fix this. We as a church could fix this for Orange County. We could provide uh, families loving homes for that number. We could, we could actually do that. So let's start with care communities. Yeah, and, and even on that placing it with the families, um, it's uh, what Psalm 68.6, yeah. right? That, that God places the lonely in families. And, and, and this, is, this is God's heart. This is what he wants uh, for all of us. And so uh, these care communities, this is a proven model. It was done in Georgia, Georgia uh, where at one point they had a, a large gap in the amount of available families uh, for the foster children that were in uh, the system. And when they put these care communities around the foster families, that movement went from the 50% kind of one and done rate uh, to 90% kept going after two years. And what a care community is, uh, if, if you've been part of Summit for a while, you've heard the term connect group, it looks very much like a connect group, everybody, except for everybody has a different role. And so those roles include a team leader who's their primary responsibility to kind of communicate back to the foster family, figure out what the needs are, what the prayer requests are, what are what's kind of going on and, and difficult and how they can support four people on the care community you're responsible for making one meal a month for that family right you can do that you can make a meal a month for a family and what that does is every single week there's going to be a meal dropped off at the home of somebody who's fostering in the system right two people on the team you're responsible for being a mentor an influence a person another stable force in this child's life a life of instability is being replaced by stability right you're giving them a loving foster family to be around them and now you give them a couple mentors uh, what that also allows you to do is you can take them out for ice cream or movies or depending on the age or just play with them and hang out I mean another scary statistic right now is the amount of babies that are coming into the foster system as a result of the opiate crisis even right here locally so we hear that as a national story but it's a local story as well um, so that mentor will provide kind of a little bit of respite for the family so they can get a date night while you hang out with the kid or maybe you take the child out and you go hang out with them and, and the main thing is to kind of show them love and care and just be another stable force 
Um, and then there's one respite care family. And this family is in place. They have to go through a little bit more training. There's a little bit more to it. Um, but it's so that if a family has to leave town very quickly, uh, they have overnight care available to them. And so in the foster system, a lot of things, like if you had to move out of the state or go to the state or go out of the state for a vacation, that's fine. You have to go through a judge. It's kind of a long process. And that's what everybody will say. Like the children are generally not the challenge in the foster system. I mean, it is a challenge, uh, but it's more navigating the system that's difficult. And so what a respite family can do, if someone got a call and like they had a death in the family and they had to move out of the state, uh, they can provide from one to seven nights of overnight care for the foster child. And so that makes up a care community. And our initial goal is that we would place these care communities around those uh, that are fostering within Summit Church. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we have put a care community for all those families who are fostering, who want a care community around them, around those that foster, then we will start looking in our neighborhoods and we will be zip code based. So if you're like, hey, I want to be part of this care community, very much again, like the connect groups and, and, our, and our small groups, we want to kind of get you together in your neighborhood. We would find a care community in a neighborhood. We would find a foster family and we put it. And in the beautiful world, in the long five year, uh, I think what happens is, the, over, the goal for foster is reunification, right? Back to the family or a family member uh, of some type and get them stable. What would be beautiful is if we we're providing care for a foster family, that child is reunified into a situation that, hey, you know what, they're, they're ready to take them back, but maybe it's not completely stable because we know it, right? We, we talk about it all the time. We all need care. We all need community. What if that care community went with the child, right, and wrapped around that child there? What if then, right, as we talk about the grand thing and we want to get excited about the next five years, what if we went to those children who've been identified as potential to end up in the foster system and we started to say, like, hey, how can we wrap around there? Because you know what, a meal a week, Right? A couple mentors, some stability can do a lot in every child's life, right? And so, yes, we're starting with fosters. We're talking about, I'm sorry, I get excited go, and go. I just want to go. go. Um, don't have anywhere to go. We can be here till noon. Go that ahead, is just not keep... true. Okay. I'm going to stop talking. So, yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> so uh, we got to at least get out of here by 11 yes, and let true. the other guys yeah. go. Yeah, the other but, um, so, as they go, and we go, like the reality is, so when we hear this 200 number, yes, maybe 200 families will step up and say, like, yes, we want to foster, and we'll just eliminate the need for families within the foster system, at least on its present size and scope. That'd be awesome. But the, if you look at the stabilizing force of the care communities, moving that from 50% to 90%, that helps with that challenge, yeah. right? And then if you look at like, hey, what if we get in front of the system and start figuring out that, and, and, and less kids are ending up in the system because they're getting the care and the support that they need. Um, and then again, on the back end, right, then there are kids who age out of the system and they have been through this process of move seven times and they're graduating and, and maybe they got a girlfriend, maybe they wanna get married, but they don't, they don't have like, we take it for granted that like, hey dad, I'm thinking about getting married, what should I do? Like they don't have some of these calls, right? So there might be some opportunity on the back end to come around uh, some of the kids who are aging out of the system to help uh, provide some care there. Yeah. So I, I could go on about this. Yeah. And, and last thing to kind of tie it all together, with the schools, know this, all of the things that you hear about exist in the schools. There yeah, are foster right. kids there, there are homeless kids there, there are children with disabilities. Yeah. Like, that's another reason why the schools is such a powerful thing, because when we looked at all these things we could get engaged with, the, the school as a central hub for a neighborhood became like, you know what, 
we don't know where God's going to call us when we get there, but we know if we go there, there's just there's going to be opportunity for us to kind of love. Yeah. So. yeah. so the timing of this is uh, uh, we are going to engage in a process really similar to how we engage in our global partnerships. When we saw the AIDS pandemic in Africa and we saw that communities were being wrecked by it and we saw that there were millions of orphans being created by this pandemic, we said we need to do something. And that's all we knew. We didn't know anything else. We didn't know anybody. So we went into a process of praying and getting educated and going. And that's kind of what we're going to do here. This first part of the year is going to be praying and getting educated. There's going to be opportunities for us to have gatherings outside of Sunday that are even more detailed than this. Uh, this was just kind of an introductory to it. And uh, so we're going to schedule those types of things out. There are going to be opportunities to directly engage very quickly. But, but, but we need your help and we need your engagement in this. God has always asked his people to do do something. He's always asked them to do something. He never says, stand on the sideline and watch society unravel. Mm. He says, do something about it. Engage in that. It doesn't mean it's easy. It won't be. It'll actually be pretty difficult, but it'll be worth it because the people we're going to serve are worth it. So here's what I think. I don't think that this is an out with the old, in with the new thing. This isn't me throwing away things at Christmas. We're not uh, putting the heart of Jesus to the side so that we can pick up this new and exciting thing. We think we're getting right at the heart of Jesus and we're committing to come down from whatever mountain would keep us away from those in need to see kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven for the most vulnerable to give them a voice. That's what we're after. And here's where we start. We start with the card that you got when you came in. I'm gonna walk through what this is. You have a pencil uh, and you have the card and so there's nothing standing in the way of you saying I'm in. To this, Let me walk through what this is. There are four little boxes to check. Uh, I'm interested in learning more about foster care or foster care support teams. That's just a general, I'm interested. I'm, you're not signing up for anything. You're not saying, uh, I'm going to be part of a care team yet. You're not doing that. You're not saying, I'm going to go through classes to be a foster uh, care parent. I'm, you're not doing that. You're saying, I'm interested. I'll, I'll uh, Tell me more. Under that, I'm currently fostering, training to foster in the process of becoming a foster family. It'd be really helpful to know uh, where in our community that already exists because we want to start putting care teams around you. And so if you'd be willing to tell us that, that would be helpful. We know some families at Summit, uh, but, but we want to know all of them. And so if you'd be willing to mark that, uh, if you're there under that, uh, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about missionally engaging in a local school. Again, this is just, um, tell me more. I'll pray about it. I'll get educated about it. Uh, I'll walk that step. I'll take this first step of faithfulness. And then under that, I have a relationship with a local school that could use service and support. Oh man, I would love to hear from you if, if you do. And so you fill that out and then the additional information, you can write that. Dan's gonna be out in the lobby and so you could just tell him to his face if you want to and, and he'll have lots of cards that he's writing on the back of and things like that. This is how we start. This is a first step. This isn't the finish line. This is the starting line but it's a starting line worth crossing. And so uh, there, you've got everything you need. You've got the card, you've got a pencil, you have everything you need to take a first step in engaging with us in changing the reality for vulnerable children in our community. I'm gonna pray for this process because I know some of you are filling things out right now. Some of you are, are thinking about it. Uh, my hope is every single one of you would be willing to fill this out. I'm gonna pray for this. I'm gonna pray for what happens as a result of it and then we're gonna close uh, in worship together. God, thank you for... Uh, who you are. Thank you that you made space for us. 
And thank you that you call us to live like that for the sake of this world. Thank you that you invite us to make space in our lives for others. God, there are so many mountains that we could stay on, the mountain of safety, the mountain of security, the the mountain of, of feeling like we're not big enough to actually help with all the need in the world. Help us come down from that mountain so that we can do something. We don't have all the answers, God, and we desperately need you to guide us and direct us in this, but I pray that you honor this first step, that you would let uh, every uh, name and, uh, that's being written and box that's being checked, let that be an offering to you, God, and be good for glorifying you in this world as we care for the vulnerable around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.